Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live in the Washington, D.C. area, Saturday mornings from 9 till 10 on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And as always, many, many things going on in technology. The biggest technological failure of the week yeah, I know occurred where this is going. in Iowa. Uh-huh. <laughs> and they just really didn't follow best practices in software development. We'll, no. we'll review a few of those mistakes. I'm really curious as to what you have to say about this. Yeah, the, uh, the FCC is reaching a deal to buy some satellite bandwidth in order to expand the 5G spectrum. All the... All the telcos are really excited about that. We'll talk about how Amazon makes money, and they're, they're, their tentacles are in lots and lots of stuff. And uh, talk about how Homeland Security is using cell phones to track people at the border. You know, everybody has a cell phone now, even the, yeah. even the even, people sneaking even in. Even illegals. <laughs> even the illegals, and so now they can, they can use some software tools to do that, um, do that tracking. And... A major event happened with the A350 aircraft. They have banned coffee in the cockpit. What? Because somebody might dump it on the console? Exactly. Oh, this could really... You know what? It's not the water. It's not the liquid. It's the sugar that's in it because it gets in there. I mean, you could short it out for sure, but the sugar gets in there and it gums up all of the electronics. Yeah, so think about that. An airplane under total electronic control... And you dump water on the on the console. I know somebody who did this in a, on a radio audio board one day and knocked the station off the air. Wow, I can believe that. Uh-huh. And, of, and of course, uh, we're going to feature the man who uh, is known as the father of information theory, Claude Elwood Shannon. I featured Elwood? him back. Elwood, I featured him back in 2003, but he's such a famous guy. It's been a while. I thought I would do it again. And Uh he was also suggested by uh, Bob in Maryland, one of our long-time... now on retainer in Maryland. That's right. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Look who showed up for work. Oh, right on time. Let me get this microphone adjusted. Yeah, we got an email from Helen in Rockville. Dear Doc and Jim, I'm trying to set up a new account... And I'm told that I must allow pop-ups to complete the process. Hmm. And how can I enable pop-ups? Because it just stops, and they say you have to you have to enable pop-ups before you can complete the process. Now, um, and I got to set up this account. I'm using a Chrome browser. How how do I get these pop-ups so they're allowed? Well, Helen, most browsers are set to block pop-ups by default, and the reason is. Because these advertising companies have these pesky ads that are always popping up, and they're extremely annoying. So you solve the problem just by blocking pop-ups. Now, and yours is probably set up to block block pop-ups for all websites. 
Now, you could turn off that blocking, but I wouldn't suggest that you not do that. But what you can do, you can turn it off for just one site. So the site that you're working with, you, you can actually turn off, you can actually allow pop-ups for that one site. So what you want to do is you're going to have to go to the settings. That's those are three little dots up in the uh, right-hand corner, three vertical dots. Click on that. And then, um, and then what you want to do, go down to the bottom and click on Advanced, because this is an advanced setting. <laughs> then you <laughs> click on Privacy and Security. And then you uh, click on what they call Site Settings. And then it'll, it'll bring up all of the things that are allowed on that particular site. Scroll down and you'll see something called Pop-Ups and Redirects. And then you, there's a list of, of blocked sites and allowed sites. And so you just click the add button beside the allowed sites and you add the web address of the site that you want to allow and then uh, click save and you're done. And then at that moment, you will be able to have all the pop-ups you want to set up that account. Best of luck with your project. We got an email from Al in Manassas. Dear Tech Talk, I just bought my son a laptop, and the salesman told me that laptops don't need surge protectors because their power bricks protect the machine from power surges. That just didn't sound right to me. Mm -hmm. But I didn't argue. Uh, is it, was he right, or do I need to go out and get a surge protector for the laptop, Al in Manassas? Well, the power brick that comes with your laptop does provide a modest degree of surge protection, but only for minor surges. If you've got a lightning strike you know, a big surge protector, you might blow out the power brick itself. And if it's really big, that could just propagate right in there and blow the laptop. So it it doesn't actually protect you completely. Now, as a rule, anything that plugs in the wall ought to be protected against a lightning strike or a big power surge. And so I'd recommend that you that you get a surge protector for it if you're leaving it plugged in all the time. And these, these come in ratings, jewel ratings. That says how much energy will they absorb in one pulse? You want to get a, a, a unit that's at least 3,000 joules in rating when you look at that. And they, <clears throat> these uh, surge protectors have, have, a, have, a, have a quick switch, which is basically a, 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 it's, it's a thin semiconductor that basically shorts out in the case of a big surge, and that, that triggers quickly. And then they've got coils in there, inductive inductive uh, methods to, to, to block big surges and that those activate much slower. So yeah, so the you know the response time of the surge protector is important, but almost all surge protectors have those two technologies and re response time is okay. So <clears throat> you could get for instance a Belkin 12 outlet surge protector for around twenty five dollars. They make and, good stuff. Yeah, it makes really good stuff. And that that it's rated at thirty nine forty joules. So it's it'd be a good choice and it's only $24. So if you're leaving it plugged in all the time, I just get a surge protector. We got an email from Jim in Bowie. I've got a Dell Optiplex GX280 desktop computer that I've used for several years before I bought a new one. Now I need to get a couple of important files off of the computer. So I brought it up out of the basement, turned it on, and the BIOS has a password on it. And I can't remember the password. Oopsie. Yeah. You know, I've tried every password I could remember from five years ago. I, can't, I just can't. I just, I don't know what password is on this stinking BIOS. And is there any way that I can bypass that BIOS password deal? Jim and Bowie. Well, Jim, you're lucky. The answer to the question is yes, you can disable the BIOS password function on your Dell machine. 
So, um, you know, I just went to the uh, online user's guide, and this is what they say. Shut down the PC and unplug the power cord. Now, you, you realize whenever you unplug a, a computer, the power supply has capacitors in it, and there's still voltage in the power supply for maybe a minute or two. So, you, you know, you're, it's not like there's no power in there. So one way to be assured that the capacitors in the power supply completely discharged, you can hold down the, uh, the power button for around 10 seconds, and that just shorts it out. And you'll get no, and it will drain any power that that's that's stored on your um, on your um, a power supply. And then once you've make certain there's no power, and the reason I I want to make sure there's no power in there because you're going to be moving removing a wire on the motherboard, and you don't want any static electricity getting onto your motherboard. So you can remove remove. No, the we cover. can't have that now. No, absolutely not, absolutely not. So you just remove the cover, and there's a tiny black plastic jumper on the motherboard. And it goes to something which is labeled PSWD, which is an abbreviation for password, PSWD. And you just pull that black jumper cable off the connector. Then you put the cover back on, connect the power, and it will boot up without the BIOS password. Wow. That is that simple. So You are, you are Mr. Uh, Fix-It over there. That's right. So good luck good luck getting your, fa- your files off the computer, Jim. We got an email from Dennis in Kansas. Dear Tech Talk. I was told that hibernate is a good way to shut down a Windows 10 computer when when I'm in the middle of a big project. Then when I turn it on again, all the programs and files and web pages that I've up just pop right up, just just where it was when I when I left off. Something tells me you're going to have a problem with this. No, I like you it. You like it? Yeah. Okay. Actually, it's a good option. Now, oh. how, how do you do it? So it turns out that when you hibernate, it it basically um, takes an image of all of the, uh, the the state of the computer, and it stores it to the hard drive, stores that image to the hard drive. And then when you turn it back on again, it pulls the image of where you were back from the hard drive and restores the state. But while you're in hibernate, the, the computer's actually off. So it's really convenient. If you've got a big project going on, you've got a bunch of windows open, a lot of stuff, you can put it into hibernate. Now the, now the problem is that on the Windows 10 machine, when you just go down to the to the on off you know icon down there hibernate's not an option they just either off it's restart and you don't have hibernates but you can add hibernate to that that little that little uh, power button down there down there near the near, near the start button so what you want to do is open up the control panel so just go into the search block down there in the lower left and type control the control panel will come up. You pick hardware and sound. Then you pick power options. Then you choose the thing that says, what does the power button do? And then you click change settings that are currently available. Click on that. And then you'll see some, you'll scroll down to the shutdown settings and you check the box beside hibernate and then click save. Now, so the next time you see, you click on the power button, you'll see a, a list of options you can do like restart or shutdown, but then hibernate will be there. So like if I'm working on tech talk and I got a bunch of stuff open and then I've got to go somewhere else i can i can put go it in get hi- to the box of wine in the refrigerator I, I could go get go to get get a box of yeah get you know get, get some wine maybe maybe cheese and crackers maybe go off and, and look at a, a political debate or something and then, <laughs> and then and then and then and then come back a little bit later i can simply turn on the computer and boom it'll boom, be exactly it where i was so and then and the nice thing is the the actual computer is actually off uh t- completely turned off so um 
We got an email from uh, John in Baltimore. The hard drive on my five-year-old laptop died, and I bought a new 480-gigabyte solid-state hard drive to replace it. Since I got to reinstall the operating system, I wonder if I could install Linux hmm. instead of Windows, because I've got a Windows 7 installed this, but Windows 7 is not supported anymore. So the only thing, you know, I just use this laptop for like surfing the web, basically. No, no I'm not running it much, no, any programs on it. I'd really like to install a version that kind of looks like Windows so I don't have, have a big learning curve. What, what do you think my options are, John, in Baltimore? Well, John, there are sever, several uh, Linux distributions, but people in the field, they call them distros. Distros. Mm -hmm. They don't call distributions. Distros. There are several Linux distros that look a lot like Windows. So the one that has really gotten rave reviews, I you know, because I was looking around to get get one that – find one for you that, that actually – just, just regular users loved it. It's called Linux Mint with the Cinnamon Desktop. Linux Mint with the Cinnamon Desktop. It's got really good reviews. It's fast. It's a full-featured Linux distro. It's based on Ubuntu, but they basically put a new skin on it so it has a Windows-like look. Now, the desktop is a lot encompassed with Windows 7. It's got a menu button right where the start button is. Um it's, but that's virtually the same thing as on the desktop. Because you click on something called a computer, and you can see your hard drives. It has a trash can, just like the Windows Recycle Bin. You can place icons and user files on the desktop, just like you can on your Windows PC. There's a quick launch bar that allows you to launch programs with a single mouse click, click just like the uh, quick launch bar at the bottom of the Windows screen. So it's got a lot of they, – they wanted to make it look and feel like Windows. So you can go to the Linux Mint website – and that, of course, would be, um, and I, I give a link link to that uh, Linux Mint website. It's a blog.linuxmint.com, and uh, and you can go there and look around. Um, if you decide you like what it looks like when after you go look around at the at the at there, you can you can download the ISO file, and then you can copy that onto a DVD, and then it would be would boot right up on the DVD. Or you could copy it to a flash drive, and it'll boot right up on a flash drive. So you could actually run Linux Mint from the, your DVD or your flash drive directly to see if you like it. And then if you decide you like it, you just can click Install, and it will install it onto your solid-state hard drive, and you'll be good to go. You know, talking about solid-state hard drives, yeah. I, I had a catastrophe this week. Did you? What happened? Uh, the hard drive on Marianne's computer died, and it's a solid-state hard drive. And they, ne you know, I've never seen one die before. And the thing is, is this an older computer or no? It's a it's it's a Sony Vio. It's probably yeah. four years. Huh. And it's uh, you know, and the thing is, now why why she was lucky is I happened to be using it when it died. Ah, okay. You can what imagine. What did you do that killed it? That's the question. Yeah, no, that's what I would have said to her. <laughs> exactly. And there would have been no way that she could have convinced me that she didn't do something really stupid. <laughs> All she said was, am I glad that you were on that machine? And so... Does uh, Marianne uh, <laughs> listen to the show ever? Uh, sometimes. Okay. Well, I mean, uh, you know... You could you have know, a long weekend after yeah, this discussion. Yeah, some, uh, some, sometimes. And so, and, so, uh, and, and so now we're... And the trouble with this uh, hard drive in the Sony, it's kind of soldered in that they didn't really make it replaceable, so we're going to... We're going to order a replacement and put it back in. Now, the good news is I have everything backed up on Carbonite. Ah. So so there's no nothing lost in the way of data. But 
it's just a pain in the neck. Right. And I was, I was. But the, you, you, you physically can do this yourself. You can replace it for her. Yeah, yeah. I'm it's not. It's really gonna, not hard. It's it's just a couple right. of screws and it's a plug and play thing, isn't it? Well, yeah. But well, because I was using the computer, I'm the one that has to replace it. Ah. If, if she would have been using the computer, you'd have sent it out. She would have had to replace it. <laughs> But I mean, physically, could she physically do that? No, I don't think so. So, but she, so, would you have done it for her? Yeah, I would have done. You're it You're a for nice her. man. I would have done it for her. Just in, uh, you know, you wouldn't so. have sent her down to Best Buy. No, I don't think so. And, and what is what is that thing that they have? Um, uh, a Geek Squad. Yeah, the Geek Squad. So you no, sit I there all day and let them mess around. with So it. you know, I talk about solitary hard drives as though they never fail, and I was just doing something fairly simple. Just what uh, were you doing that was fairly simple? You know, I, she wanted me to look up something on the web. I was just using the browser, and all of a sudden, I got this error signal, mm-hmm. and the thing died. And then oh, so she actually witnessed this. She witnessed. Oh it. boy! But but I was the one touching the keyboard. Mm-hmm. So you see, it's, it's my your fault. fault. <laughs> exactly. And um and so then when I so then when I turned it back on again, it said operating system cannot be found. It so, sounds to me like you were in the wrong place at the wrong time. I was. I should have just stayed in the other room. That is Probably. really for sure. That is the truth. Well, we got an email from Doug in Kansas. Dear Doc and Jim, what is your take on public Wi-Fi? Is it still as dangerous as some people maintain? Good I can't Im- I can't imagine somebody hacking me at Starbucks. What do you think, Doug at Kansas? <laughs> think again. Well, Doug, uh, actually, public Wi-Fi has gotten a lot safer and more private than it used to be because the reason is that almost all websites go use encrypted the encrypted cr- protocol HTTPS, right? Which stands, you know, sec- which the S stands for secure. And so, I'd say maybe four or five years ago, almost no websites use HTTPS. And everything you could see, all your, all your uh, traffic to and from the website in clear text, including passwords. And so that's when they said this, you know, it was really dangerous. But now that most sites use HTTPS, it's uh, unlikely that anybody's going to see what you're doing. In fact, just last month, the Electronic Fun- Frontier Foundation, EFF, these are the guys that are always looking at uh, – what's going on in the internet, they even sent out in their blog, they said, well, you know, Wi-Fi is now relatively safe now. Mm -hmm. So that's actually the good news. Now, where where you could have a problem if you get a malicious hotspot. Suppose somebody sets up a hotspot. Like I could set up my laptop. I could create a a hotspot with my laptop, for instance. And I could call it free Starbucks Wi-Fi. So somebody hooks into my laptop and connects to my laptop, I could put a man-in-the-middle, you know, hack, and I could actually see everything they're doing. Uh-huh. And so, and in fact, I, I, I could redirect them to web pages that would download malware. So there have been cases, for instance, at the airport where somebody will set up a rogue hotspot in the but airport. it looks like. And they say free Wi-Fi. Uh-huh. Free Atlanta Airport Wi-Fi, and it's actually a rogue hotspot that somebody's got just set up in their suitcase, and then boom, you've got it. So when you go to places, they usually post what the what the yeah, Wi-Fi. You need to make sure you go on to you, the right thing. You just don't want to hook into anything. But I'll tell you where where Wi-Fi is actually dangerous because because there it is possible to to really get uh, you know hack into the hack into the thing and then ch- check what you're doing if if you want to spend enough time on it or on these foreign hotels where that have executives that stay in them 
kind of like are, you. Yeah, these are high. <laughs> these are high, uh, high value targets, and so those particular networks. There's a reason. I mean, you you got all these executives there that probably got some really interesting stuff on their laptops. Probably. And so what what you try to do is you just you just try to hack into it. Maybe they're maybe for instance they they're into the Wi-Fi network and they have file share on. And they're sharing their files. I mean, one one time I was on a on a Wi-Fi network, and I and I just decided to look around the network, and I'm telling you, I found three computers that were sharing their files on that network. Mm. I mean, which, I mean, which is just stupid. I mean, I could yeah. I could have copied those files. I, I didn't do anything. It's not legal. I was just sort of investigating to see what I could of find. Of course you were. Now what I do is I uh, I use a VPN. I mean, even though they say it's relatively safe, I've been using ExpressVPN for years. I love it. I pay about $100 a year, and it gives me five instances of it. I've got it on my laptop. I've got it on my iPhone, and so it's it's very easy to use. So I, I still use a VPN, especially when I'm traveling. So it's it's safer, but not totally safe. Listen, we love your emails. We do indeed. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio. Heard on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. You can learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu, and you can watch us do the broadcast by downloading the Periscope device app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Claude Elwood Shannon. That's what his mom called him, Elwood. When Elwood? He got yeah, Elwood. But, Did you have a brother named Jake? Yeah, mo- no, no. <laughs> mo- most people don't only know Claude Shannon. Over but he's your a, head. His, I don't know, Jake the and Elwood. Brothers. Oh, the Elwood Blues Brothers. Oh, the Blues. Elwood and Jake. Yes. Maybe he was named after the Blues Brothers, you know? When was he born? Probably not. 1916. He was only born about 60, 70 years before the Blues Brothers. So. Maybe their grandparents, named after the Blues Brothers' grandparents. 
And he was born in, well, Michigan. These guys were in Illinois. It's pro- oh, well, highly unlikely. This is, this is a, an uncalled for, an yes. unauthorized sidebar is what I So Claude this. Shannon it was a mathematician. He's an electrical engineer. He's a cryptographer. And he's best known as father of information theory. I like how you, the gravitas. Yes, father, yes. Yes, Claude nice. Elwood Chan was born April 30th, 1916 in Petoskey, Michigan. Now, his first 16 years he spent in Gaylord, Michigan, where he attended public schools, and he graduated from the Gaylord High School in mm. 1932. Funny that that would be located in Gaylord, it's Michigan. It's quite amazing. Yeah, uh-huh. it's quite amazing. Now, he was just a regular kind of guy. He, he made model airplanes. He had a radio-controlled boat. That's cool. He built a wireless telegraph. But, I mean, this was back in, in the ni- early 1930s. I mean, this is a long time ago. Mm-hmm. His childhood hero was Thomas Edison. And he found out that he was related to, to Thomas Edison through a distant cousin. Wow. You know, it's kind of an odd hero to have now, but think about when he was born. That's probably, you know, yeah. that's pretty cool. That's right. This is when the light bulb was a big deal, you know. <laughs> Because <laughs> it was new. It was new, and they, 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 they we these, didn't have, we didn't have LED light bulbs. These newfangled light bulbs. Yeah, the incandescent light bulb was was all the rage back then. In <laughs> 1932, he entered the University of Michigan, mm-hmm. and this is where he learned about the guy George Boole. Now, George Boole created Boolean algebra. I've heard of this. Which is just zeros and ones. I'd be pretty bad at this because yeah. I'm not a math person, but I've heard of Boolean algebra. Boolean algebra, George Boole. And so the thing about Boolean algebra is that this is what um, computers use because switches are either on or off, zero or right. one. So if you want to make a digital computer, you basically manipulate things using Boolean algebra. So he, he, he was introduced to George Boole. Uh, well, he learned about George Bull. He didn't really meet him. Mm-hmm. He graduated in 1936 with two bachelor degrees, one in electrical engineering and one in mathematics. And then he went to MIT to study electrical engineering. And there he worked on an analog computer. This is another one of these difference engines because they, they didn't have – this was back when they did not have digital computers back in the day. And, and this analog computer, they were, they, were, they were using it like to compute uh, – uh, trajectories for the, the Department of Defense. What <clears throat> his master's thesis, what he did, going back to George Bull, which would have been possible for him to meet, by the way. I just Googled him. He died in 1864. So 1864. Could not have possibly met him. It, was his name Elwood by, the, by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> No, <laughs> no, no. It, it, here in in Wikipedia, which we know is always right, yes, yes. it appears that he had no middle name. <clears throat> okay, all right. So, <clears throat> so here's the thing. I'm gonna have to get learn okay how to over use, there? Yeah, it is. I just don't know how to use the cough button. There okay, isn't now one. Oh, it's there. called on and off. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it's so confusing <laughs> over here. <laughs> on and off. <laughs> yeah, but when you got a cough, turn it off. Oh. Turn it back on. Okay. <laughs> It's so complicated over here I, in this, well, in this new what? studio. <laughs> they cut out the cough button. You get rid of the middleman. Yeah, thing. exactly. Okay, so for his master's thesis, Shannon proved that Boolean algebra, which is also called binary arithmetic, mm-hmm. could be used to simplify the arrangement of relays that are used for telephone call routing. And so he could use Boolean algebra, and he could and he could then adjust the relays, and they could have uh, 
They could do routing with fewer relays. It was a more efficient way to do it. Then he went on to prove that it would be possible to use arrangements of relays to solve problems in Boolean algebra. Like and so if then, and then sort of thing? Yeah, like if, then, it could, you, uh, it could do NOR switches. And so then what he did, <clears throat> he he created a number of, uh, of, of, of circuits using these... Um, using these uh, relays that actually were reminiscent of the type of circuits that would be on digital computers. So he was actually the person who came up with the foundation theory for practical digital circuit design. And instead of using relays, of course, you use transistors in the, in the, in, in the, new, in the new digital circuits. And so... <clears throat> People said, and this was in his master's thesis, people have said that master's thesis has had more citations than any other master's thesis in history because it was such a foundational concept in how you would design a digital circuit using Boolean algebra. Hmm. So, I mean, it was actually, it was a big deal, yeah. And he's kind of stumbled into that because he learned about George Boole. And then he was, no and, and then he was working on this analog computer that used that used relay. So he just put the two things together, and that's usually how, to, you know, inventions come about. You 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 take two ideas from two different areas and, and put them together, to innovate. <clears throat> he received a PhD from MIT in 1940, and he applied these concepts to genetics. Uh, he was he was going to use, because they, <clears throat> there was this Mendel. Uh, was a uh, was a genetics guy, and he would say, "You you have recessive genes. You you put these all the, you combine all these genes, and then what do you end up with?" And you could use Boolean algebra to sort of analyze how genes and how you would inherit things. So we use this theory then to actually develop concepts in theoretical genetics. In 1940, Shannon became a fellow at the Institute for Advanced Studies in Princeton. This is where Einstein was. You know, this is the big. This is the big. This is the big leagues. This is the big house. This this is this is the big house there for uh, for science. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> he joined Bell Labs uh, shortly thereafter, and he worked on fire control systems and cryptography during World War II. In 1945, he prepared a classified memorandum for Bell Labs called "A Mathematical Theory of Cryptography." He was he was getting into how. You could encrypt data uh, more, most efficiently, and uh, and he actually he 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 met Alan Turing, who was working on cryptography over over in Britain. And uh, Alan Turing is the father of uh, computer science, and so they met and they you know they shared thoughts about computers and cryptography. Then a couple of years later, he published a paper on the mathematical theory of communications which formed the foundation of information theory. And information theory, this is really, uh, really important. It says if you have a, a communication channel that has a certain amount of noise, what's the maximum data rate that you could push through that channel given a certain signal to noise? And so he came up with the underlying principles of maximum communication rates. Now, why would that be important? He was at Bell Labs. Yeah. And, uh, and they had the AT&T phone lines, and so they, they were a communication company. So he was doing, doing that. <clears throat> and so he, he basically wanted to focus on the problem how best to encode information that a sender would like to transmit. 
And he developed a concept called information entropy. Information entropy. And it's if you're if you're in physics, I don't. We don't have too much of a sidetrack. <laughs> if you're in Can physics, we do string theory next segment? <laughs> no. If, if you're in physics, entropy is sort of a measure of the disorder. <clears throat> and so in the universe, entropy is always going up as we become more and more disordered. And so you can sort of uh, measure uh, st- thermodynamics, statistical processes using a measure called in- in- entropy. And so if you've got a um, a source trying to sending out information with noise, the 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 more disorganized that information is, the higher the entropy. And so he had something called information entropy, which which he used in his in his foundational concepts for information theory. And and they had the uh, Shannon Hartley theorem, which actually I was it's it's a very simple formula, which I'm not going to give on the air today. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a very, very simple formula, and it gives you the maximum data transmission rate in a in a, in a noisy channel. <clears throat> and it's such a simple equation. It's amazing that you could get this 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 fundamental result, and and it reduces to such a simple simple result. So, so actually, he was quite um, innovative in these areas. So look at this guy. He he developed the underlying concepts of the digital computer. He worked on cryptography, and then he worked on the foundations of information theory um, <clears throat> all at the beginning of his uh, career. In, in, 40, in 49, he published uh, a paper called Communications Theory for Secrecy Systems, which was a declassified version of his mathematical theory of cryptography. He felt that cryptography and information theory just, just went hand in hand. You know, he, he couldn't really separate the two. He's also credited with developing sampling theory. <clears throat> See, when they it used to be in the old phone systems, it was all analog. Well, h- how do you take a um, uh, an analog voice signal and make it digital? What they do, they they would sample it uh, sixty four thousand times a second, and whatever it is, and then they would take that sampled value and and turn it into a digital number. And so you could convert an analog signal to a to a to, to a sampled signal, and then you could send it digitally. And so he he actually worked on all the underlying theory for sampled uh, sampled signals and how much information you you use if you sample it. So even uh, say like even the uh, the radio show that we're that we're um, doing but now, but this is the classroom of the airways. It is being saved on a hard drive and it's being sampled at 128 kilobits per second. Mm-hmm. So we're actually using the sampling yes, theory we are. that Claude Shannon developed to grab the analog signal, digitize it, and put it on the hard drive. So even today, we're doing it. Mm-hmm. Right now. This very second. This very second. And so he... While we speak. So he did the he did the sampling theory, and that's concerned with representing, of course, a continuous time signal with a discrete set of samples. This enabled the telecommunications system to go from analog to digital in the late 60s. So... What is amazing that he was in so many fundamental, he made so many fundamental discoveries that touched so many different areas. Now, after the breakup of Bell Labs, uh, the part of Bell Labs that remained with AT&T, re- they renamed it. They call it the Shannon Labs in his, in his honor. Not uh, the Elwood Labs. Not the Elwood Labs, no, the Shannon Labs. Now, outside of his academic pursuit, Shannon was interested in a number of things. <laughs> juggling. He loved juggling. Huh. He loved unicycling, and he liked chess. 
Now, <clears throat> he was co-inventor of the first wearable computer along with Edward Thorpe. Really? And what he did, that's what he did. He wore this wearable computer in Las Vegas. Oh. And he made a killing in Las Vegas. How long did it take the people at the casino to figure out what he was doing, or did they? I don't think they did. I mean, I think I, I think I think he preceded, uh, you know, the you know. Yeah. Plus, yeah. if plus if you look at Claude Shannon, you wouldn't think he he no. If you look him, he is not going to be the kind of guy that he doesn't look like a shyster at all. No, you take a look at him. This guy. This is pretty funny because he probably made no money with all these valuable things that he came up with, and, and he made his fortune probably gambling. And so he he used uh, he used. Of course, he was he was doing what now they don't allow you know card counting. Yeah, and he used this to play blackjack as well as roulette. And then he used game theory to say should he should he take it or not take it, and hmm. he did he did he did quite well there at uh, at that at the um, you know at, at Vegas Hollywood Casino Perryville. No, just kidding. yeah. And so and so the thing is, uh, yeah. What uh, they uh, I don't I don't think they ever you know I don't didn't exist back then. I'm just being a I, smart guy. I just don't I don't think they really caught him actually. Uh, you know. Now he also used the same game theory. Uh, and uh, and he, the same theory, which he later called the uh, Kelly Criterion, for stock, to, you know, to, to to invest in the stock market, and apparently Warren Buffett even used his technique. Interesting. So there, there you so go. It's what you a, didn't get into here was his personal life. I wonder if he was ever married. It sounds like he might have been just had too much going on up here. No, no, he, no, he, he was married twice. You, I didn't, uh, I didn't have it. Okay. Oh, you didn't get into that. I, okay, his, his, his first wife he married. She was like a uh, sort of. She was from New York and sort of one of the socialite people. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That lasted less than a year. <laughs> I mean, Claude, being this mathematician, and the, it just didn't, must have been deadly. It just it just didn't it, was, it just didn't match up. It, I don't know. Probably it's probably arranged by his parents. I don't know. But but then <laughs> got to get him out of then the house. A, a few years later, uh, there was a, a mathematician that worked at the lab where he worked. Not a bad looking guy. And and so he married the he married a woman there who was a mathematician and, and working in the same things that he worked on. And so for their whole life they worked on stuff together. Wow, that's so, pretty cool. And they ended up having three kids, a long marriage. So finally, when he could pick his wife, everything worked out just fine. There you go. And so yeah, so I, I, I didn't I ran out of room on the thing, so I couldn't write all that down. But Jim. that's interesting. I'm glad, I'm glad I asked yeah. the question. So there you go. Everything you want to know about Claude Elwood. Shannon. Since we're messing with his middle name and we're talking about Elwood and Jake, okay. here's some Blues Brothers for us. Okay, we go out very to break. Good. <laughs> there you go. It's the Blues Brothers coming up here on Federal News Network. You're where you listen to Tech Talk Radio. We're on 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. You can watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. You can learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu or also here at federalnewsnetwork.com. We'll be back with more Tech Talk in just a moment. Taking, uh, taking the announcer a little long to get to uh, Elwood here. We'll, ta- we'll, we'll do more Blues Brothers. What's his? What's his? Claude Shannon? Elwood. Elwood. Yeah, you, want, you want to use that one? Oh.
We're going to get right to break now. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Oh, yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You can please please be seated They're now. They're behaving nicely. Please, please, please. That's a little too much entropy in the room, please. Let's get some order Ooh. here. Let's get some order here. We need we need to reduce the entropy more, of our studio audience. Atropy, less entropy. <laughs> That's right. This is not simply a radio show. This New. is a classroom of the airways. And what does that mean? It means that we teach you things, but we also assess whether you're learning anything with a pop quiz. And if you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll get... Tickets to fine dining at one of our uh, uh, Stanford University dining rooms. Earlier in the show, I talked about Claude Elwood Shannon. He, of course, is father of information theory. Now, near uh, near the uh, at one part in his life, he and a um, colleague built a um, a computer. wearable computer. And they had a particular application for this wearable computer. What might that application have been? Wait a minute. Where is their guy here? Oh, wait a minute. Bear with me a second. Mr. Big Voice was queued up. If you know the answer to today's question, well, now's the time for you to pick up your device and give us a call. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia. It's 877-936-9333. If you're putting snow chains on your unicycle in Canada, you might still need call it. us on the wild card line. 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the international line. It's as dependable as an Iowa caucus. 877-936-39333. 
Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Jertz. There you go. Well, before, yes. before we get back into that, all right, okay. as promised, we need to hear some Blues Brothers because I only talked this up, and this was, video was a bit of a mess, and uh, you heard more than you bargained yes. for. So this is the Blues Brothers for those who've never heard them. See, they were they were a musical act on Saturday Night Live. Oh, and it, okay. Yeah. There we go. There you go. That's the Blues Brothers. Yeah. There you go. John Belushi, Dan Ackroyd. Okay, Doc. So let's uh, let's talk about something else here. I don't, you know, I think I don't know whether Claude Shannon would have enjoyed the blues. I don't he, think he would have. I don't know. He looked he, more like a Debussy kind of guy, it, if you know what I mean. It could certainly well be that the case. Well, let's talk about these Iowa election snafu. I mean, this is probably the worst software rollout you yeah, could imagine. Really. <laughs> uh, you know, and what they did, they went back and they looked at how this was, how, how this was, you know, rolled out, how it was purchased. And basically, uh, the people in the field have concluded that they violated every single best practices and standards that are used in the development of software systems. Now, they just skipped almost every step in what is known as the Systems Development Lifecycle, SDLC. And they just blew through this thing in their own merry way. And what, they, and what they said, this is a lot like a manager who doesn't know anything about software coming down to the software department and saying, okay, guys, we got to get this thing launched, and I'm going to give you four days. So it's like you've got non-technical, well, incompetent managers trying to drive this thing. But they had all kinds of time to do this, right? Yeah. Well, theoretically. They, theoretically, they did. Now, now the thing is, uh, if you, it should be your code should have peer reviews. That wasn't done. There should be periodic code scans. That wasn't done. There should be testing of security features. That wasn't done. Mm. Now the Iowa app was met, developed by a company called Shadow, and it was supposed to be used to report caucus precinct results in the Iowa Democratic from through the Iowa Democratic Party. Now, but it failed dismally. Users could not even successfully install it. And that created havoc. And uh, it, you mean on their phones? They couldn't even install it on their phones. Now, it, moreover, the Iowa Democratic Party, the leadership, refused to allow the Department of Homeland Security to test it. That's problematic. Yeah. And then the developers said they didn't want to test it w publicly until just a few days before the event because they didn't want anybody to hack it. They wanted to keep it a secret. Now, now this is the thing. Cybersecurity has looked at this thing, and they looked at uh, the development cycle, and they were updating this app. There was a major update on January 24th. There was another major update on January 30th, and another major up update on February 1st, and that was just three days before the Iowa caucuses. They were still developing the software just days before the caucus. So it is not really surprising that they had that type of result and they were just saying it looks like management somehow got in the way. So the conspiracy theorists all think that there is something else behind this. But you don't believe that. You just think this is complete and absolute uh, abject uh, incompetence. Just complete incompetence, yeah. I don't think there was any conspiracy theory here. But, boy, this is the wrong week for that. It certainly and, is. And the wrong venue and everything. That just didn't yes. work out too well. All right. Let's see here. We're going to do uh, – oh, we have somebody who would like to play our little game. And so we're going to go to line number two. We are talking now to – this is uh, 
Daniel, who's calling us from Middleburg, Virginia. Good morning, Daniel. There are you? Whoops, wait a minute. There you are. Daniel, are you there? Hey, good morning. Good morning. How, How are, are you, sir? Very good, yeah. Early in the show. Great show, guys. Well, thank well, you. Keep it up. <laughs> a little rusty on the board this morning, but thank you. Uh, we talked about... No, we need to extend it, extend it two hours now. <laughs> oh, yeah, we got nothing else to do today. Right. <laughs> yeah, but we, but we haven't spilled coffee on the board. That, that would be the next thing. <laughs> the good thing is neither of us have any coffee, so that that's can't happen. That's right, that's right. Early in the show, I talked about Claude Elwood Shannon... And he, of course, father of information theory. But he made a wearable computer. And what did he use that computer for? Uh, he went to Las Vegas in a brilliant way. He was counting cards and winning. That there is correct. Go. Daniel, thanks a lot. Okay. You are today's winner of the pop quiz. Hang on just a second. We are going to send you back to um, uh, Andrew. And Andrew is huh. going to take your information. And we'll get your prize right out Thank to you. you. It is Saturday morning. You are listening to Tech Talk Radio. Heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, and 104.5 FM. You can watch us do the program by uh, following us on um, uh, Twitter. Actually, uh, you can watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. Learn more about the programs at uh, Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. Be right back. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Now, this is the warning of the week. Beware of free downloads. Mm. You might get some malware. Researchers claim that over 500,000 PCs have been infected with malware after individuals downloaded expensive software that was actually being given away for free. This would be hacked software that, that you could just download and use, like, you know, like, um, you know, Microsoft Office or Adobe Photoshop. Now, users generally, generally would start their journey to hell, as they say, <laughs> by downloading a cracked version of commercial software like Adobe Photoshop, Microsoft, and others. And there's a big demand for free stuff uh, if you can get copies oh, yeah. of expensive software. Now, here's the thing. Hackers will hack the software, and then they'll embed in it 
malicious code. As soon as you download the software and um, activate it, it activates the malicious code, and then that malicious code reaches out to a website called Bitbucket, and it downloads <laughs> additional payloads, as they say, of malware. Now, the Bitbucket code management platform, it's managed by Atlassian, but, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're just a, a platform. And, the, and the, there are also other places where they will reach out and download additional payloads like Gut, Git, GitHub, Dropbox, Google Drive, and they sort of move it around. And, they, uh, and these, uh, these repositories are updated almost all the time. And so the real story is don't try to go out there and get something that you shouldn't really have. There is no free lunch. There is no free lunch, and you will find that you will regret that choice. Okay, let's talk about coffee being banned in the A350 cockpit. Okay. The EU Aviation Agency, which is EASA, has issued a formal safety directive banning A350 airline pilots from putting cups of coffee anywhere near the sensitive cockpit electronics. And if you look at the inside of this cockpit, there's there's this sort of all this complicated electronics in the console right between the pilot and the co-pilot. Ah. So it's right there where you put the coffee. It's right, it's right there where you put the coffee. Is there a cup holder? No. No. Ah, they, they, they sort of have to balance it on top of the... Uh, the switches, I don't know what they do. And so <laughs> it's good thing you're not a pilot. <laughs> and so they have confirmed that there is now a liquid prohibited zone. <laughs> an LPZ. An LPZ inside the A three fifty cockpit. And uh and this and that procedures must be followed in case of inadvertent liquid spillage. <laughs> now <laughs> now here's the thing. One pilot spilled coffee on that console, and it killed both engines. Oh, man. <laughs> they had a dual engine failure. And the, and the problem is, what, I mean, how do you turn the engines how back on again? How do you override the computer once yeah, you fried it, right? That's right. And they, they, and then they finally managed to get them on, and they had a forced landing, and it, it damaged the, the airplane, and it injured the occupants because it was a pretty rough landing. Wow. Okay. That's bad. Now, Aviation Trade Magazine Flight Global reported the cockpit coffee ban came about after two incidents that led to engines shutting down in mid-flight. or Jeez. And that after the coffee spilled on the console, the console provided inconsistent output <laughs> to the engines. Or as of none. <laughs> That's right. Oh, now, last year, yeah. an A330 captain discovered while over the middle of the Atlantic when he spilled coffee on the aircraft radios, it caused them to melt. <laughs> so there you go. The EU so, has stepped in with a coffee ban in the cockpit. So this is just on the A350. Yeah. How about other aircraft? Is well, it just because this is console in the middle? This of the sky? console is just like where where your armrest would be. Uh huh. I just think it's a poor design. Now there there are other consoles where they're up in front and they're and they're more vertical uh -huh. where you it would be hard to spill coffee on them. I got an idea. I think what we do is we adapt the salad bar sneeze guard yes. and put it over top the console. Exactly. Yeah, I'd, it's like I would, a splash guard. There. That's right. I think so, that, that's my solution. So now I, I'm I'm thinking maybe I should look in the cockpit of any airplane I'm flying to see whether it's safe. I with don't think coffee. they're going to let you in, Doc. Now now the question is they did not ban wine. <laughs> I think that's a given, though. <laughs> I'm just, just saying. I think that's a Just given. saying. Okay, we got – here's the idea of the week. All right. 
this is really a great idea. A glucose monitor that does not require you to prick your finger. This is a great idea. Yeah, see, this is the thing. Samsung announced it's developed a way to monitor blood glucose levels without requiring a finger prink. Prick. Print. <laughs> print. Finger prick. <laughs> All it's right. Been, it's been a long day. It has been, it's, and it's only ten o'clock. It's been a long day. This, uh, you know, Elwood really. Elwood re- kind of really threw us right threw off. The, right. It's, the, it's been downhill. Now they use a technique called Raman spectroscopy. Now this is not Raman noodles. This is no, Raman spectro- <laughs> spectroscopy, and and what it does, the Raman uh, spectroscopy, it looks for what they call a Raman peaks. Now, it turns out that Raman spectroscopy is named after an Indian physicist, C.W. Raman. There you go. And you shine a laser into the finger, and it forces the molecules to vibrate, and then the molecules will shift the frequency of the light slightly mm. based, on their, based on their vibration modes, and they can measure that frequency shift, and they can tell the concentration of glucose by looking at the spectroscopy, the Raman spectroscopy coming out. I mean, it's a fairly neat idea. They probably have a little, little tiny laser and a thing, just put it on your finger and boom, Pretty neat. They've, they've got it. So, so that's, uh, there you go. Um, they, and they, are, they haven't announced a, a date where they're going to release it, but I think it's actually a pretty good item. We have about got. 30 seconds, Docs. So probably not sec- enough time for you to start I don't a think new... I got another, I don't think I've got room for anything else. So no, listen, we... Um, we love all your emails, we do uh, and that really makes the show much, much better. Mm-hmm. And I especially like all the suggestions on Profile on IT, because I've done like several, like probably Today's, 400, four, right? 500. Yeah, this was a suggestion today, and so okay, keep those suggestions coming in. Uh, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, so we can get back to you as soon as we uh, as we can. And, of course, what we want to do is... Uh, is you know answer your questions as quickly as we can, and when you and when you go to the Stratford University website, you can check out our nursing programs, our networking programs, security programs, cybersecurity programs, culinary hospitality programs, business programs, nursing programs, health science programs, and tell them that you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.